That's hard. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was Zach making funny sounds with his mouth, doing some weird noises. Okay. Uh, well, welcome to Scientifically Speaking, Cornell University's educational science talk show. We're back again this week. <laughs> Dear God, that was so fucking weird. I'm Dave. <laughs> I'm Zach. I'm Shane. I have mono. Yeah, he's going to apologize because he's basically going to get his mono face all over the microphone this week. It's okay. I have a mask on. Don't worry. All future all future users of this microphone, <laughs> you won't get my spit all over you. I have a Other mask DJs on. Other DJs stick to mic two. <laughs> so, Zach, what are we talking about this week? I forget. That's Just super unhelpful. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about the senses, uh, all five of them and all the other ones. Because Wait, there's what? Not, yeah, yeah. So it turns out uh, all that stuff you learned in school about your five senses is a lie, big old lie. There's more than five. I guess th- those five still are senses. Okay, that, that wasn't wrong. That's good. Yeah, that would be really worrisome. However, there are there are many more senses, and it's eh, what? I mean, some are kind of more closely related than we're taught them in elementary yes. school. Anyway, let's kick it off. What do we want to start with, Zach? What what sense should we go with? We'll do one of the big five. So the big five, as you're everyone's aware, sight, hearing, taste, touch, and smell. So, Zach, what well, one should we start with? I think we should start with sight, because this is a radio show and has nothing to do with that. It's going to be real tricky to explain, because um, you can't see us. Well, you know, we We're can do it. We're going to figure it out. We're gonna be Zach will use his big boy words. And maybe some not big boy words. And, I'll, uh, I'll do my we'll me- well best to be understandable. Do you want to take this one, Dave, to start at least? I'll start with sight. Okay. So we know that the organs that we see with are our ears, right? Fuck, so You can't do that shit, man. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. It's eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, come on. No one's actually going to take me seriously. Yo, you know what? <laughs> Someone out there is like, Someone, shit. Someone's out there is like, I've, I've totally misunderstood the function of my ears. Seriously, I've been doing it wrong the whole time. So, we see with our eyes, folks. So basically, we have these little things mind. on Isn't our face. Isn't there a gorilla song that like says something about some? There's a Clint. There's a line in Clint Eastwood that's like, "You don't see with your eyes, you see with your mind." I, I don't like listen to the gorillas, but man, that's, that's actually so a pretty sad. accurate line because right, perfect. as we're about so to get into, why. sight is a lot more complicated than uh, than it should be. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, we have these big old round, white, gooey things on our faces, and stuff goes into them, and then we figure things out with that. Wow, that was the most useless explanation of sight ever Very scientific. No, this is scientific terms. Gooey, round, (laughs) false. Stuff. Um, So, what actually happens when you see things? Eyes are these round, globby things, of course, and what happens is light from the world is coming into them. Okay. So it's all light. It's all light. That's what vision is. Vision is using light to, as a sense. What about when it's dark? Okay. Well, we'll get into that. Okay. First, we should explain how <laughs> eyes work in general. So we all know that we have a pupil, right? Not not a student, but <laughs> the the small black part of our I eye. That's want actually a pupil. What? <laughs> anyway, not touching that one. So we've got. <laughs> you better not. <laughs> so. The pupil is not a thing. It's actually okay. just a hole. Oh. So you have the white of your eyes, so you then you have the colory have, part. So you're telling me is I don't have a pupil. No. <laughs> the pupil isn't actually a thing. It's right. a, it's a, it's, a it's an absence of things. Okay. Interesting. It's a hole in your face. There's a hole in my eye. That light goes into. Okay. 
That makes sense to me. The colored part, your yeah. iris, is actually muscular. And what it does is that it can squeeze shut or open wide, you know, how people's eyes dilate, you know, certain occasions. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so Like a sphincter. Yeah. No, it's literally a sphincter. Oh, I mean, that's weird. That's the definition I was of a sphincter. A joke. That's really yeah. Bizarre. Not only is the muscle around your eye uh, a sphincter, like it's actually a sphincter. <laughs> okay. uh, the inner part of the iris is called an areola, which is yeah, exactly. Who knows that? Just someone who is someone who made a crossword puzzle one time, and now I found out about that. <laughs> I also learned that today, and he said the areola, and I was like, that's not a part of the eye. <laughs> and then I found out that it was. That's weird so okay we have these holes in our faces that can open up and take in more light or shut and take in less light so that's why you know in really bright places your eyes are going to close a little bit your your pupils will shut a little bit so it's not as blinding with the light so light actually comes into this hole and it goes all the way to the back Okay, through back of my eyeball. The back of your eyeball. Not the back of my brain. Not the back of your eyeball. Okay. Right, so think of your eyeball basically like a hollow sphere. Okay. Just a little ball with nothing inside of it. Okay. Not hollow. It's Right. There's no, the, no. Yeah, the saying, aqueous fluid. Of, yes. I'm saying that in terms of like where the light hollow. is interacting, it comes in through a hole in one, a little pinhole in one, at any, you know, the front of the ball. Yeah. And then the it ball. hits the back of the ball. Hits the back of the ball. And that's where you sense the light. And, of okay. course, yeah, there's more to the eye than being a hollow sphere. It's, of course, all gooey, and it's got this fluid in it, and there's lots of living tissue and all kinds of wonderful things, like Yum. the veins and stuff in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You can see them. Yeah. Bloodshot eyes. Zach's eyes get super bloodshot when he bunch it, when he benches. Yeah, it's real bad. It's really amusing. <laughs> it's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the light hits the back of your eye. Okay. The back of your eye has a thing on it. It's called the retina. The retina is what catches the light that comes in <laughs> simplest explanation i can all give right. all it is is basically a plate in the back of your eye not a plate plate's a bad word to use but you know what i mean it's just a sure. flat well not flat because it's, <laughs> it's a thing in the words back of your eye that the light so hits. Hard. words are hard it's the back surface of the inside of the eye does that okay. help is that better i don't know if that's know better if it's better i think we got it the point is someone text me if you don't understand <laughs> the retina has Photo receptors. Okay. Photo meaning light, receptors meaning receptors. <laughs> and there are these light sensitive proteins in the back of your eye. Okay. So when light hits it, the light activates these proteins. And they cry. And well, I don't, maybe a little <laughs> bit. Um, do you cry when you look at the world? Because. No, it's, you know, they're sensitive. They're oh, light. oh sense, that kind of sensitive. I get it. Like, don't call them names. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> Don't call me a photo receptor. <laughs> anyway, it's going to be one of those episodes, I can tell. Yeah. So, these light-sensitive proteins are activated by light, and they make these little tiny electric signals. They go, and the signal goes to your brain, and your brain puts it all together and says, oh, I'm looking at a thing. Maybe it's a cow. Maybe it's a bee. Maybe it's a titty. I don't know. <laughs> Could be all three at once. And uh, so the interesting, there's a lot of interesting things that go into your brain actually correctly processing all this, all these little photons, these little bits of light hitting all these photoreceptors and transforming it into an image. And uh, so there's all kinds of different ways your eye can detect like proper images. Like it can detect edges. That's the first part Mm. of vision really is that it sees the edges of things where things 
change. No, what are you looking at me with that for? Not the first part of the vision. The first oh, part of vision yeah, is yeah. like light intensity. Right. That's uh, yeah. That's one of the ways you interpret it. You know, we'll talk about that later. Actually, <laughs> it's better to get started with just the light actually hitting the photoreceptors. So let's talk about the photoreceptors. Actually, there's more than one kind. So oh boy, we're gonna call the photoreceptors names now. So hopefully they don't cry. Aww, uh, they're rods and cones. They look like rods and they look like cones depending oh. on which receptor. Do, do they actually? They look actually like that? do. All right. It's not amazing. Cool. Yeah. That yeah. It's great. So, uh, cones are the photoreceptors in your eye that actually allow you to see color. Okay. Rods just measure intensity of light, like how much light there is. Do cones measure only color or color and intensity? Or is it like literally like you need both and cones only do the one? It, yeah, you need both. Okay. And, co- and cones, uh, wait, what? Sorry. <laughs> so the question he's asking is, rods only do intensity. Yes. Do cones only do color? I think the answer is no. I think cones do both color and intensity, oh. but they're not as good at intensity as rods are. Okay, fair enough. And so the interesting thing is that, so if you look at rods, right, um, when they take a few photons, hit them, and they, they send a signal, right? Literally like a few. Literally like Like a six. handful of photons. Yeah. Well, a handful would be a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> just like six photons I, as I saw is okay. well is enough to like generate a signal okay right and obviously That's, the more the photons more photons are really little yeah super tiny okay and the more of those that hit any given rod um the brighter or the stronger the signal will be right essentially it, co- or it codes for a brighter signal okay um and um this allows you you know basically if you had rods alone you'd yeah. see pretty much in black and white which is just you know intensity of color darkness yeah. and brightness right right and then cones allow you to see in color okay however individual cones don't like see a color it's not like oh like, like this one i see this one therefore red what it does okay. is you have three types of cones right okay they each take uh they're each more likely to absorb certain uh colors in a way so they're more likely one's more likely to absorb red light in that range not exactly Mm -hmm. in red green and blue there's one for each of those not that precisely it's not like one's coded for you it's just in that general range and there's some overlap well that kind of makes sense right Right. because like red green and blue is like there's not like there's one it's hard to even point at one number and say this wavelength is red it's like you know it would have to vary a little bit okay cool so what happens is with that You've got all these cones in your eyes, right? And all this light's hitting them. And then in a given, like, little spot, right? So there's some small part of an image. You know, there's a few cones. And there's, like, a ton of photons coming in there because photons are super, super tiny. And so what happens is you've got all these cones activated with certain wavelengths of light with certain intensities from each of the wavelengths, each of the colors, right? Mm -hmm. And your cones go, okay, we see all this stuff. Now let's combine all this information and just give you an output this final color. Like, this is what color this is, based on all the different intensities of the different colors of light we're so receiving. So they kind of, like, quote-unquote, average it together. Yes. It's more basically. complicated than that, right. but, yeah, it's essentially what they do. They go, okay. this is what this color is. All right. So we just threw a lot of stuff at you, yeah, that's a lot especially of stuff. with color. Color is complicated. Color is not, you know, we're saying, that like, oh, we see red, but what does that really you mean? You can take, like, multiple color theory classes in college. Oh, geez. Just about color. I can imagine that that's yeah. kind of rough. Yeah. Basically, so we should probably explain what colors actually are. What? Why are things different colors? Light is a wave, right? Because there's a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> we'll go. We talked. We already talked about photons, so it's like. Anyway, the point is, light can act like a wave, and 
so a wave something that goes up and down we can sort of imagine it as a wave and a wavelength is basically how long or short a wave is different colors are only different wavelengths of light so purple has a really short wavelength right goes really fast well it has a short wavelength (laughs) take that back speed is a different anyway uh yeah light is hard and red is has a longer wavelength so it's more up and down less up and down in any given area it's light is complicated Uh, you explain it (laughs) it's so oh man um basically oh periodic pictures. pictures yeah this is tough basically just think of say you have like a one foot long rope okay (laughs) <laughs> just imagine this in your mind fully stretched out right <laughs> okay i know where you're going with this a one foot long rope say it goes say it's bent in such a way so it has one bend in it that's a long wavelength a short wavelength is say it has multiple little bends in it it's yeah. over the same so it's distance like really it's still a foot snake. long but very curvy versus not very curvy right. that's so, all wavelength means wait, and that's but, all colors okay are. so wavelength is the number of little curvies you can fit in a foot. Pretty much. Okay. That, I can do I can deal with that. Yeah. Wait, but... Oh, well, it's the uh, inverse of that, right? Because you have a lot of little curvies. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like a high wavelength. Low wavelength. L- it's a low wavelength. Short wavelength. Yeah. Because every... So every wa- curve up and then curve down in a rope. So it curves up and then down. That's one wavelength. Right. And so if you have, you know, say, a, a given of length of rope. I yeah, got you. A bunch of I those. I think we yeah. You can just roll with okay. this. Yeah, sorry. That's why we were talking about how sight is harder than it should be. (laughs) The point is that we sense these different wavelengths. Well, our cone cells sense these different wavelengths and can determine which one's which. And our Mm. brain puts it all together. Alrighty. So we have this image. Sure. Interestingly, the image. Let's talk about the image a little bit. So, I don't know how many of you out there are uh, camera people. If you know how a camera works, when light comes in through this little tiny pinhole, it comes in to our, it's put in our eyes upside down. Fuck. Yep. <laughs> Entirely upside down. We That's... literally see the world upside down okay. and our brain goes back and fixes it and makes it right side up. Or maybe it doesn't. <laughs> but the point <laughs> is that the light that comes in our eyes, the picture that, you know, appears on our retina is upside down. Dave mentioned this to me earlier, and we got into a very long conversation about whether or not it actually makes any sense to say that your brain flips it upside down, mostly because, like, flips it upside down. Well, I can't. We can't even start this conversation on here. It'll go on for like four hours. Basically, we're talking about this idea of like, you know, okay, so like your brain flips it upside down so that you can see it right side up, but like, you is your brain. So why would it even bother flipping it upside down if you can just deal with it right side up? And, like, the deal is, well, you found that thing with the babies, right? Say the thing with the what? babies. What? <laughs> the thing with the babies. So, basically, when I say that our brain fixes the image and flips it right side up, it it's a, a thing we get used to. It's a thing that, you know, so people put, like, mirror glasses on people, and it takes a couple of days to fix again. So babies are not used to seeing things. So babies, fresh out the womb, see the world upside down for how long we didn't actually find. We couldn't figure out how long, but like babies see the world upside down. Babies literally like don't have that flipping mechanism yet. It appears. And then 
then why do we even need it? That's the question, right? So I think what I think, what I think is that, so when you look at someone, right? So like right now I'm looking at Zach. He looks wonderful today. Aww. And like his head is at the top, right? Like, like his feet are what I would consider below his head in that his feet are closer to mine than his head is, right? So the, 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 the problem with this, like, this, this like, orientation we have going here is, like, how oh. am I determining where my feet are? And we'll talk about other senses that let you figure out, like, where your feet are relative to other things. But, like, basically, like, I can't see any reason that, like, this is not just my brain's going, well, his feet are down there, and that means they're down, and his head is up there, and that means it's up, and that's as much as you need to know about it. And then I'm making this, like, mental image just so I can deal with it. But, like, it's not like my brain flips it upside down. Like, I could be looking at it right side up. I am looking at it right side up. Well, upside down, just only flipped one time. And I'm lost again. It's super confusing. <laughs> so I think we should maybe not worry about that so much. The point is, cameras work. By having an image coming upside down, and you have to flip it later. That's what our brains do, because eyes are fucking weird. So, a little thing we didn't touch on with the uh, wavelengths of light and color stuff is that we can only see uh, within a certain wavelength of light. So, there's anything too short or anything too long is out of our visible spectrum. We can't see it. So, like, ultraviolet rays or infrared waves or x-rays or stuff like that. We can't see it or radio waves, or microwaves. Interestingly, I always forget this, all of these things are just photons still. Right. It's so weird. <laughs> it screws with you. Gamma like, rays, like, x-rays, yeah, like microwaves, light, radio like waves, photons, visible light. You just think about visible light. Like, you only think about visible light. But, like, microwaves are also photons. It's all the same it's stuff. the same stuff. With different wavelengths. Right. Like, super different wavelengths. Yeah, like, really different. Like, some of it makes your eyes light up, and some of it makes your food hot. <laughs> out of, and out of this, out of this enormous spectrum, we see but a measly sliver. We're like yeah, practically right. blind to the universe. That's terrifying. Yeah, which is interesting because not all animals are as blind as we are. Oh. Bugs, for example, can yeah. see in the UV spectrum. Can they, they also can see, see all of visible? They can light? see visible light Weird. and UV. They have Weird. a wider range of visible light than we do, so they see things that we couldn't even fathom. Flowers, for oh, example. Super weird. Oh, have colors in right. the UV spectrum. I've totally seen this we can't even see flowers for what they actually are. We think flowers are cool Aww. and pretty or whatever, but we can't even That's see so all sad. of them. Bugs can. We'll and never bugs know the true can be guided flower. to flowers. That's yeah. kind of poetic. Isn't it? It's you a know? little bit metaphorical. Maybe flowers are like really ugly in UV though. Maybe yeah, maybe you know, we're that's lucky. What I was thinking. Actually in UV flowers like are basically arrows. They like point, hey, come in here. This is where the pollen is. That's what the UV part <laughs> is. That's what it's for. That's, That's why bugs bizarre. see it and use it to pollinate. Cool. Freaky, dude. That's great. Evolution is bizarre. Okay. Are we done with vision? Because I think that's about as much as I, I think that's handle. about as much as we can cover that's with vision. So Vision's much. pretty pretty yeah. complicated. Okay. We're moving on to. Let's uh. Smell that? No. It smells like a freaking skunk outside this building i'm not actually i'm not even kidding like every time i've walked outside the radio station so far today which has been three times um it's there's definitely a skunk living or dead recently in the vicinity it's really unfortunate could be a fox a fox, fox? yeah could be a fox could Do be a female fox smell yes. like skunks actually like i've heard that like most of the time you smell skunk you're actually probably smelling a fox more likely 
What? Like what? Did foxes smell that way? What Just part of a fox? Uh, uh, the, the uh, the the girl area of a fox smells like it's like literally a fox in heat. What? But That's it's awful. winter. Yeah. Well, that smells <laughs> <as foul laughs> heat. Wow, that was a terrible joke. We're gonna pretend that didn't happen. Moving on to smelling. Smelling. One time. You mean olfaction? Olfaction. So, <laughs> quick little snippet. The other day, I walked into the kitchen, and Zach was sitting at the table watching a lecture from some really old guy on TED talking about smell. Luca Turin. Like, Zach, what are you doing? And he was like, "Yeah, for some class, I have to watch a random TED talk and take notes on it." So I picked this one, and I was like, "That's weird." And then I went away, and apparently he stopped paying attention too, because he then had to do a lot of research on it later today. Well, he 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 just like was. I didn't believe him. <laughs> is what happened. Isn't he like some sort of genius on this stuff, though? Turns I mean, out. that's what turns out. Yeah. yeah, it didn't. It wasn't convincing at the time. Uh, I see. He just seemed like some kind of crazy old perfumist that was like really excited <laughs> about his work and thought he had discovered something new. Wearing a weird sweater. Um. Yeah. He was. Yeah. He also. He had, he was just weird. Weird guy. Right. So. Uh, the sense of smell is real strange. We haven't actually quite, and by we I mean scientists who actually do science, um, haven't quite narrowed down, what, as opposed to all the scientists who don't do any science, like us. Um, so <laughs> so uh, they haven't actually narrowed down exactly how smell works. But there are some theories, uh, or rather hypotheses. Hypotheses. They've been somewhat tested though and they kind of, well, I guess like they're theories. Hypothetical that, models. Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. That's probably the best way of phrasing it. So, the first thing to know is that you've got, you know, your two nostrils and you've got this inner nosy bit. It's basically, <laughs> it's all open. He's it's like a hole. pointing at the bridge of his nose yeah. for the record. I actually studied this in my research. The <laughs> turbinates, the uh, nasal cavity of oh, birds. Oh yeah. Dave, yeah, so Dave does nose. Yeah, you, know, you talk about that part. You want to talk about that. Well, all it is is just little complicated, curvy, crazily spiraled bullshit that has a lot of surface area. So it's used for like thermoregulation, osmoregulation, and smelling things. That's all there is to it. Yep. So baby, in mammals, they're made out of bone. Whoa. So I didn't know that. <laughs> so uh, you've got these receptors on the inside of your nose okay. that can like basically grab scent molecules which okay. I'll now refer to as odorants because that's that's how they're that's what they're called. Okay. Is that why a deodorant is called that? Yes, ma'am. Oh, wow. This is really funny to watch cuz like every time Dave wants to say something, he has to actively steal the microphone. From yeah, we Zach. haven't we're still only working with two mics. There's to, a third mic sitting tantalizingly. But it's not plugged in. Right over there. <laughs> we don't know how to plug it we in. We don't know where to plug it in. It's really sad. It's a big Actually, problem. we have it plugged in. And we have it plugged into the soundboard, and we had, can't figure out how to plug the soundboard into the big soundboard on the desk. And so we're stuck at this impasse. Yeah. But, so, the inside of your nose. Right, back to that thing. Uh, they've counted in humans. We've got about 400 different kinds of receptors. Not, like, only 400 receptors. Okay. Like, 400 different It still receptors. doesn't seem like that many. Right, it doesn't. Okay. And so, these 400 receptors allow us to smell about... A trillion scents. Holy crap. Yeah. That's many. Yes. Oh, my God. And so... I thought it was going to be like 400. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, each one lets you smell one scent. And eh, no. It. Oh, my God. Okay. So, the first theory type hypothetical model that we're going to talk about is the vibration theory. This one was the one of the earlier ones proposed in like okay. the 1928-ish area. It weirds me out that the first thing we thought of was like... Vibrating molecules? Yeah. yeah, it's odd. Why is it the first thing? Well, it was initially abandoned in favor of the next theories, okay. which may seem like 
to all first impressions would seem like it would have been a good idea, <laughs> but maybe wasn't. Um, so basically, if you have a molecule, you've got all these little atoms bonded together, and each of those bonds between any two atoms, right, it acts kind of like a spring, and it vibrates a little bit. Okay. And it has this characteristic frequency, right? So any given bond between yeah. like a sulfur atom and a hydrogen atom has a specific frequency. Okay. And it's always. always the same between any sulfur and any hydrogen. Yes. That's interesting. For the most part. That would make sense. Um, so basically, uh, you once this you somehow trap this molecule, it's got a certain vibrational profile based on all the different bonds it has. And okay. your nose receptors, these smelly receptors, uh, grab it, it vibrates, sends a signal, and your brain goes, oh, yeah, it's that smell. I recognize that one. Yeah. And so, you know, this is like a pretty good theory, maybe. It explains some stuff. Uh, but there are these things called stereoisomers, right? And these are these molecules that you've got one, right? And you've got another. And they're exactly the same in the sense that all the same bonds and the same geometry and pretty much look exactly the same, but they're mirror images of each other. And right. if you have two of these stereoisomers, there's no way you can take one, put it next to another one, and have everything line up perfectly. Right. Yeah. Because they're mirror right. images. Right? It's like, yeah. yeah, you know, like, like if you hold your hand up to right. the mirror, and you can put your hand so that they're facing each other, but you couldn't conceivably, like, turn one hand so that it matched onto the other yeah, one. Yeah, your right hand doesn't match your left hand. So, yeah, you know, right and left yeah. hands. Wow, that was stupid that I didn't yeah. think of that first. <laughs> you can't make your right and left hands have, like, your knuckles facing your face and have them match. Yeah, the thumbs don't work. Fucking thumbs. Literally both of them are now just like putting their hands <laughs> on top of each other. It's pretty funny. So what happens is you um, uh, end up with these stereoisomers. One's like right-handed and one's left-handed. Uh, and they, they like, you know, by the vibration, they have the same exact vibrational profile. And yet they smell different. So you've okay. got this uh, carvone molecule, right? L-carvone, which is just one of the <laughs> two. El-carvone. <laughs> El-carvone. Like uh, uh, smells like spearmint. And D-carvone smells like caraway. I personally don't know what that smells like. That Colleen's going to text me and be like, you idiot. Why don't you know what caraway smells like? Well, you know what? I don't. Happen. It's I also it. apparently it's a similar smell to Persian cumin, but I don't know what that smells like either. So that wasn't <laughs> helpful to me. Although I know what that is. I knew that existed at least. It's like cumin, but like more Persian. Yeah, well, no. See, the problem is the cumin part. <laughs> um, anyway, so, obviously, vibration theory can't account for all these smells because, you know, you've got this stereoisomer case. So, you, we then look at the shape pattern theory, which is basically, like, there are specific uh, receptors that respond to specific geometries of molecules, okay. right? And so, it binds in a certain way, and then, bam, this, there's, like, this one molecule, this one site. They bind in a certain way, and that's your smell. Bam, you're done. Uh, but... Like, obviously, that's not complete because the vibration theory holds for a lot right. of things. Right, the vibration things. theory used to work. Yeah, and it, like, still does. Right. Like, there are, they've used that, mm. like, this guy Luca Turin was talking about how they needed to make something smell like some original, I forget what it was called, but there's there's a carcinogen with a certain smell, right? Okay. And so you can't use this thing mm, from people because like of the carcinogen. Yeah. So he found another molecule with a very, very similar vibrational profile, and it smelled the same. Okay. So, the like okay. both these theories have merit. None of them are complete. Interesting. They complement each other. Okay. Uh, additionally, 
the concentration of the odorant, like the number of little baby odorant mm-hmm. molecules you got, will ch- can potentially change the smell. Like if there's a oh. whole, like something could be like kind of, you know, smells kind of like flowers at like a low concentration and then like really high concentration. And, oh my God, it smells like putrid. It smells like a dead body. This is disgusting. What? Yeah, it's crazy. That's so strange. Um, so other theories are that uh, the time it takes to for this like one molecule to bind to different sites can influence what like things smell like okay. and then the order in which they bind to these different oh. sites. And so that's, this is how you end up with a trillion different scents from only 400 things. Because there's sense. so many different patterns and elements of the molecule that lend to a certain scent. Uh, and probably... Oh, yeah, let's talk about nostrils. Nostrils are cool. So we got two of them, right? <laughs> most of us. I guess not everyone. But um, for the most part, people have two nostrils. And if you ever notice during the day that like you kind of can breathe into one better than the other... You probably noticed this. It turns out this is like a thing your nose does on purpose, and it switches during the day. Like one will have better airflow some parts of the day, the other one other parts of the day. Yeah. The reason this happens is because certain uh, molecules can get absorbed very, very quickly, and you have to shoot them way into your nose to make sure they can hit all these receptors and get processed uh, so you can smell it. And other ones get absorbed very slowly, so you need to give them time to get through your nose. Okay. And so you oh. need to have both these nostrils with different airflow Whoa. speeds to smell all the smells you want to smell. Smell, so smell, that's smell. on purpose. Yes. That's super weird. Yeah. What? But it's so annoying. Yeah, but... It's, uh, like, super annoying. It's, like, you know, like, I need, I need my, like, I can't breathe through one nostril effectively. <laughs> I guess is that just like emphasized when you're sick to an annoying yes. extent? Okay, that's still annoying. Well, because your the nose will just get inflamed, and then the side that's already more closed-ish just becomes very more closed-ish. Very more closed-ish. Yeah. Oh, okay, is that the scientific term? Yes. And that's about you know that's about it about scent. It's real hard. Okay. Basically, it's all it's doing. We call this chemoreception. Like light right. vision is. Photo reception, okay. light reception, okay. chemo reception is chemical reception. Right. So we have these molecules coming into your nose that you recognize. So what's interesting is that when you're smelling something, you're actually getting a little bit of that thing in your face. So like <laughs> you smell a skunk and you've got a little bit of skunk in your nose. Literally inside your nose. Literally inside of you. Ah. Yeah. So don't breathe in when you're going to the bathroom, I guess. So when Zach farts in the kitchen, I'm getting Zach fart in my nose. Like actual particles of it. That's super pleasant. Yep. That's exactly what I want. And I'm ba- basically, right you know, anytime anyone's cooking food, you're trying to eat it through your nose a little bit. <laughs> right? I'm okay <laughs> with of, that. Yeah. As long as it's, you know. Because, you know, cooking. collected in mucus and eventually. Oh, yeah. You swallow a certain amount of, like a largish amount of mucus during the course of a day, I read. Uh, I forget the number, but it's kind of a gross amount. Let's, <laughs> you can look it up if you want, but basically, like anything that gets in your nose, you're probably going to swallow it eventually. <laughs> Uh, okay. Speaking I of swallowing and eating, let's move on to the other chemoreceptive sense. Taste. Mm. You know, you put something in your mouth and it like tastes good. And again, it's this it's the same kind of thing as scent, where you have molecules of a thing that are attaching to a place in your body that are registering some sort of different taste, just like a scent. So I'll have Zach, because Zach did all the work on these chemoreceptive ones, so I'll let Zach expound on taste. Expound. 
So, taste, also known as gustation. <laughs> all these, all these uh, senses have these funny names. You got vision. Hey, that's pretty reasonable for sight. You got uh, olfaction for smelling stuff. You got gustation <laughs> for eating, uh, tasting things, not eating them, because e- eating is not a sense. <laughs> that's not that funny, but I'm laughing. I think you, I think you screwed up because it sounds like gestation. Ah, like thanks for excusing my mistake. That I didn't. No, that's either. not eating either. That's like baby form. But I always think that's what it means. Yeah. Oh God. Wait. Oh Jesus. <laughs> like digestion. Time. Yes. Yeah. That's why. Every time someone says gestation, I'm like, why are you eating a baby? Oh, I get it. Oh my God. Anyway, so basically, our taste. Um, whereas uh, people have tried to break down our sense of smell into like into component parts. You can you can break down sight into you know additive colors sort of. You can break down uh, taste into many different things. Five actually currently maybe more. <laughs> many five, <laughs> same thing. Uh, we haven't figured out how to do that with sense yet. Someone tried, uh, didn't quite work. Sense, sense. odors. Oh, sense. Sense. Sense, and I was like, well, no. these are all with senses. odors, I don't know what you're and it didn't quite work. But uh, for taste, we've got sweet. Everyone knows that one. It's a every article I read about this said it's a universally pleasurable experience to taste something sweet, which was just really I don't know why. That sounds really not true. Right? Yeah, I agree. I feel like people from not America like very commonly comment on how too sweet things are from yeah from here. That's just a wrong sentence. I didn't yeah. like it. Um, <laughs> so you got sweet, you got salty, you got sour, you got bitter, and umami, and umami is a savory taste. I do have an iPhone charger, Shane. Ah, never mind. <laughs> but Dave's also got Dave me does. Covered. My phone's going to die and we need it for the music. Don't worry about it. <gasps> music, it's so important. So, um, for taste, you've got this tongue thing, right? Um, which is pretty neat. Uh, <laughs> and you've got is it taste. Just your tongue? Is it like that's the only thing that tastes? No. Oh, f- weird. So, we've got all these taste buds, right? About. 2,000 to 8,000, depending on, I guess, how damaged your mouth is, because that's a pretty wide range. I don't know what's up with that. Uh, but there's basically, they're, they're like relatively large for being pretty small. That's a stupid way to say it. It's like... It's what? Perfect. That makes they're no sense. They're pretty big for how small they are. I mean, I mean, consider like your tongue is like this macroscopic thing, right? You can, it's like this, I don't know, it's the size of your tongue. And now we're going to have to take a break while we all learn how to breathe again. And uh, so these, I don't know, whatever. So you got taste buds. You got a bunch of these taste buds, right? You got them on on the roof of your mouth in the back there. You got them on your larynx. You got them on your cheeks and you have them in your esophagus and also in your tongue. Um, More importantly, most importantly, but, um, so you can taste like all over your neck and stuff it's really quite okay, wait, strange the inside of your neck though, literally right? as you're swallowing <laughs> literally as you're swallowing things you can taste them okay i mean that kind of makes sense like yeah. experience wise but um also apparently yes. they have found certain taste buds specifically bitter receptors in your lungs there are okay that seems like it bitter would be taste like, buds in your lungs that seems like it has to be like if you if there's food in your lungs, I feel like you're kind of screwed. Yeah, depends how small it is. Probably. Um, 
That's why you just cough a lot and you're fine. Unless you die, in which you're not case you're not fine. Um, but oh, yeah, these, thanks for that. So these bitter receptors in your lung tissue uh, do something magical. What's so that? they cause your uh, airways to relax when a bitter substance is encountered. Now, why might they want to do that? So these scientists uh, believe that the mechanism is evolutionarily <laughs> is evolutionarily adaptive because it helps clear lung infections, which apparently taste bitter. Not it's not really surprising. But All right, kinda, I can deal with neat. that. Uh, and they were thinking about using it to treat asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So they're you know, gonna like intentionally give you bitter air. Yeah. To like make it, that's actually really cool. Yeah, it's super awesome. I didn't see what they have done with it in the last four years because that was from 2010. But oh. you know that could be kind of kind of neat. Cool. So, um, in these taste buds, right inside of them, there are like a number of taste receptors, and so every taste bud can oh. taste everything. Oh, okay. Okay. And additionally, these taste buds are they're not grouped into like categories <laughs> in your mouth. Like the sides of your mouth don't taste salt and but the back is sweet. But my second grade teacher told me. No, no, no. Not really. I love you, <laughs> Mrs. Hargis. Everything you said was brilliant. <laughs> Except for lying to you about taste buds. <laughs> so, um these taste receptors on the inside, those are the ones that can detect the individual flavors. Um individual tastes and things actually i should clarify so um the sensation of flavor is a combination of taste smell and like i'm gonna say mouthfeel because uh, <laughs> it has to do with the like physical touch sensation in your mouth and yeah, okay. the hot and cold and things okay. going on all those come into play for so the when my brother flavor. says it tastes bad and what he means is he doesn't like the consistency it's like sort of valid yeah okay cool um well, sure it, it flavors bad. It flavors bad? Yeah. No, well, it has a bad flavor. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the way taste works is that you eat something, and it kind of dissolves in your saliva, and these little bits of dissolved food go into your taste bud and interact with the cells, right? And there's a sort of a different receptor or a different mechanism for each of the tastes. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> so, uh... Let's start with sweetness. So we know sugar is a sweet thing, right? Uh, Just like me. Wow, that was really weird. <laughs> so Dave's not sweet. He's not sweet. He's salty. Especially now that oh, I wait. said he's salty. Now he's salty. <laughs> I'm more bitter now. Anyway. So um, uh, sugar and related substances, because you know you can have sugar substitutes, things that like taste like sugar but mm. don't really yeah. get just absorbed by your body, so you don't get the right. calories and of stuff. Course. Um. So that needs to, right now, the current theory, because again, this is not all figured out, uh, the current hypothetical model is that these sugar molecules will bind to two sites on a receptor, okay. which is designed to have these two binding sites, okay. and then, you know, sends a certain signal, and it's like, oh, this tastes like that. Hmm. It's like, okay, that's pretty, that's pretty neat. Yeah. It's weird, like all these chemoreceptor things, are, or chemo, is it chemoreceptors? Yeah, chemoreceptors. Chemo things are like... It feels like, I mean, I'm sure it's like the same for all of them, but it feels very much like for chemoreceptors. It's like they find this thing and they go, hey, brain, this is what you're supposed to be tasting right now. Like, make sure you let the little guy know. Yeah. That's weird. And then, so you only, you need like a one part in 200 of sugar in whatever else is in there to taste uh, wow. the sugar. So that's kind of a lot, um, okay. actually. It yeah, turns out. Yeah. Which is okay. like doesn't seem like very much, but relative to like bitterness, is about one part in ten million. Damn it! Why do they make it so that the bad stuff is easier to taste? Because that's the important stuff to uh, taste, so you don't die. 
Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, he's right. When it comes to <laughs> tasting things, a lot of this has to do with evolutionarily advantageous things that happen. So something that tastes bitter is potentially dangerous to you. Something that tastes sweet, probably less likely to be dangerous to you because it's probably like a fruit mm. or like, I don't know, something like that. And in fact, highly caloric fruit, if it's more sweet, potentially, which is why the threshold is so high, maybe. Yeah. Because, mm, you know, it, oh, ta- yeah, it takes yeah. for you to be able to taste something sweet. It has to be very sweet. So very sugary, very many calories. And now you live because you ate food that was good. Um, so moving on good to job. you didn't starve to death <laughs> to s- saltiness uh, salt we always relate this to sodium and for good reason because that's that's what salt is it's, uh, that's the, the salt taste depends primarily on sodium oh, so, so when you have like table salt yeah that's sodium chloride you right. got a little bit of sodium a little bit of chloride that sodium atom ion yeah. is the more important although and it gets absorbed it passes through a passageway in the cell mm. and it's you know, got this charge on it because it's an ion. Uh-huh. It's Na+. Does some magic and then gets a signal into your brain. And it's mm. like, hey, this is salty. The presence of the chloride, though, on another pathway uh, aids in your body being like, hey, this is salty. It's still oh, important. Okay. Okay, Additionally, so need- other things on the periodic table that are in the same column yeah. as uh, sodium also taste salty. Okay. For the most part. Pretty much. Actually, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. Um, Can you give examples of those lithium, things? potassium? <laughs> potassium is a lithium? better one. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, you just suck some of that juice out of the lithium this ion. This is a battery. salty ass battery. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. So anything in that column, yeah, with a one plus charge, mm-hmm. tastes salty. And then, but if you go into the next column over and you get that two plus charge, like magnesium and calcium, yeah, that tastes bitter. Interesting. Yeah, it's calcium interesting. Calcium tastes bitter. Yeah. What about when I drink a lot of milk and get a lot of calcium and don't taste bitter? You're probably, because you're not really tasting the calcium, There's, it's probably being overpowered by the rest of the, the flavor sugar. in milk. Okay. I can handle that. Um, so then moving on, I guess bitterness is the good one to talk about next. Okay. Um, this, is, uh, this is probably the most complicated one. Uh, it's a lot of stuff happens. <laughs> Um, and a lot of different things can be bitter. So, like I said, you know, uh, calcium, magnesium ions. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, ammonium is kind of bitter. It's okay. odd. Uh, and then just basically things that are basic. So, alkaline, like not acidic. Them basic yeah. bitches. Yeah, basic not bitches. Really. I don't say that out loud. Basic bitches are life. bitter. <laughs> basic that things. Thing. Th- that's the general thing. Basic things taste okay, bitter. Okay, but basic a, we mean not acidic. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's 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 the extent of it it's the same there's some kind of complicated mechanism with chemicals reacting things going on it's wonderful uh and then if you look at sourness that's from acidic things you got that hydrogen ion popping off the acid and uh related to this uh carbon dioxide can uh, like part of this ability to to taste sour uh, some enzyme involved with that allows you to taste carbon dioxide which is weird you can taste that yeah like you're you can taste its presence weird yeah Okay. We were it's talking about this with the, the, the fizziness in the drink, right? Oh, true, yeah. true, true. You can right. literally taste... Does that fizzy... Oh, this is such a weird thing. Wait, yeah, I have to say, say this that, now. Say yeah, that. so there was this article I was reading. It's so strange. So you know how when you drink a soda... I'm asking this as a rhetorical question because obviously no one listening is going to be able to answer. So you know how when you drink a soda, right? Like you, you take a sip and you're like, oh, it feels like the little tiny bubbles in the soda are popping on my tongue. 
and everyone assumes that it's because there are little tiny bubbles in the soda popping on your tongue because in fact there are little, little tiny, tiny, bubbles tiny bubbles in the soda popping on your tongue exactly dave you're brilliant um so but the thing though is that when they changed the pressure of the room such that the bubbles didn't pop anymore but there was still um dissolved carbon dioxide in the uh in the soda which is like the big problem is that like Anyway, um, so when they did that, so there were no bubbles, people took a sip and still were like, yeah, like it tastes really fizzy. And the scientists were like, what? It doesn't make any sense. There's no bubbles. And then flat they, soda they tastes fizzy. Basically, well, not flat. Well, because, sorry, yeah, right, not flat. So there, here's the trick, right? Is yeah. that like when it's flat, usually there's no carbon dioxide left in it, so it doesn't taste fizzy anymore when it's gone flat on its own. But when they when they manufacture it such that it still has the carbon dioxide in it and it's a little bit f- and like they you know quote unquote flat in that it, they make the bubbles not there then <coughs> as I die um, then you can still taste the fizziness because the fizziness is in fact how you taste carbon dioxide. So you're saying that when you drink a so like a coke before you open it before it like fizzes it's like it looks flat there's no bubbles you can see before you you know crack it open yeah. the first time. Right. You're saying if I. Hello, Zach. You're saying if I drank that, it would taste fizzy, even if it wasn't yeah, fizzy. Yeah, exactly. It has nothing to do with the bubbles. It tastes fizzy. So fizzy is like a taste thing and not a sensation, like a physical touch sensation thing. Mega weird. Well, it is also a physical touch it's sensation. It's also a physical but it's not touch that sensation alone. thing. But when they remove that part, it still tastes fizzy. Coolio. Pretty so weird. So now let's talk about umami. So this one's the newly discovered... Uh, savory the fuck flavor. did they give it that name uh because it was why didn't they call it savory well i mean it <laughs> i don't know let's look it up <laughs> well because that doesn't translate to a good noun like the savor i don't know like saltiness sweetness so so the umam is better like you know that doesn't work <laughs> umaminess <laughs> no it's umaminess that makes why sense why wouldn't you just say savoriness because that's too long of a word i like umami uh, well, I mean, it was proposed in 1908, but we didn't like accept <laughs> it until. I like to think some guy just like got to listen, guys. We need to get down to the really, really hard, the hard hitting facts. Like, what are we gonna call brothy, meat flavor, meaty, savory, umami? <laughs> and everyone was like, "Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can't think of anything better than that." Um. So, uh, you taste this with like steak, right? Mushrooms, yeah. maybe Mushroom. cheese. Soy sauce, All right. MSG, um, MSG, described as like an earthy kind of flavor. You know, like that's why steak and mushrooms have that umami flavor. It's an earthy kind of flavor. Like when I taste it, it feels brown to me. <laughs> that's that's an interesting way to describe it. Yeah, it's kind of in- and so we don't like really understand this flavor and how it works. Oh, so yeah. I can't even tell you what the oh, mechanism is. That stinks. Yeah. But uh, that's weird. It's also. got something to do with like glutamates and things. Yeah, because MSG. Yeah. Um, uh, additionally, uh, we can maybe taste fat. So they've proposed a mecha like receptor recently. Like they found one that's like, hey, this binds to like long chain fatty acids. Yeah. Uh, that we oh. we can kind of taste this. Weird. And they did some things, and okay. like some people could taste fat better than others, and they had a higher amount of these receptors. So <laughs> it seems to be that we can in fact taste some fats. Cool. Which is weird. I don't know Super if that's like weird. a adds to the texture of it or it has its own distinct taste. Because right. I couldn't well, tell you be, what fat tastes like. Right, but it's like one of those weird things where like you couldn't tell me what carbon dioxide tastes like either. Mm, but you actually right. aren't tasting it. So maybe you're just perceiving it as fat. Some, some other kind Fatness, of the fat sensation. Flavor. 
Um, and then one last thing to talk about. All right, last thing, then we're going to go to a music break. You can modify your taste uh, with certain things. They can bind to your taste buds. So one example that I've actually tried is Miraculin. Uh, and I ate a Miracle Berry, which is how they're marketed. Uh, oh, yeah. And what it does, it binds yeah, yeah, yeah. to your taste buds. And then suddenly all these sour foods taste sweet. It's super weird. So at uh, neutral pH, so that's like non-acidic, non-basic things. So right. it can't be like anything like sour or whatever. It binds and blocks the receptors. But at low pH, when you eat sour foods, it binds, uh, well, basically becomes able to activate the sweet receptors. Okay, so, so instead of tasting the, the sour, yeah. you then just get this influx of sweet flavor. So if you just like squirted some lemon into your mouth, it's disgusting. It's so sweet. <laughs> it's so gross. Like I tried. Oh, I tried. So wait, wait, it's like proportional to like how sour it is. Kind makes of makes it that much sweet. Yeah. Oh, gross. I like had so I had lime juice, lemon juice, orange juice, sour patch kids. Sour patch kids just taste like Swedish fish. When you have this mirror, that kind of makes it's sense. It's so goofy. It's like, and it, lime juice is like, I love those. Oh, orange! They're all disgusting. Yeah, they're awful. <laughs> it's so bad. Don't try it. <laughs> the only good thing I've heard that I haven't gotten to try. Apparently, like good beer yeah. tastes like chocolate when you when you oh, have this thing. Oh, interesting. But uh, I haven't been able to test that. Yeah. I should test that. Yeah, you I still have that. these miracle berries are sitting on my counter at home at home home. Oh, yeah. it's okay. We're going there. Well, you're going there soon. Yes. Yeah. All right, so that's the end of the chemo receptive senses. Let's take a music break, you think? Yeah, we're going to do a music break. Um, All right, we'll be back in... Zach Zach said Coolio a bunch, and uh, so now that that led to this. Bye-bye. All right, welcome back. Uh, Okay, so if you're just joining us, we are scientifically speaking, and we are talking about the senses today. And we're on cornellradio.com. Yeah, that's where you'd be if you could hear my voice. Speaking of hearing, oh shit! Let's move on to the other set of <laughs> senses. So we so far we've covered photoreception, light reception, so vision. We've covered chemoreception, so chemical reception, so smell and taste. And now we're gonna move on to the last set of things, which is weird, but whatever. Mechano reception. So we're, these are the senses that allow us to feel mechanical movement or vibration or things of that effect. So we'll start with hearing. Hearing is our <laughs> second best sense. What? Second of vision. Vision's the better one. Vision's our best sense. I don't know. We're pretty good at smelling, apparently. Yeah, there yeah, was that. Not compared to vision. <laughs> there was this hearing. really funny. Zach, I looked over Zach's shoulder. And he's like flipping through this PowerPoint because he was doing research for this. And they show like a scene of there's like a, a picture of like <laughs> this dog. There's there's like some scent trail that the dog was following. And then he flips to the next page and there's a scent trail that a person's following. And the person is literally like on all fours with, with their like, nose flat against the ground. In a grassy field with like a bright orange helmet on and potentially like a dog suit. <laughs> it was like a so jumpsuit funny. or something. And the path traced by the human looked more accurate than the dogs. Yeah, it was pretty impressive, but it was like really Probably hilarious had to be a stronger looking. Scent, but we yeah, still can yeah, smell maybe. pretty just a trillion things. That's a lot of things, dude. Yeah, but nowhere near the uh, sensibility, scent abilities of dogs, man. Dogs can like way outscent us. They can outsmell the fuck out of us. Don't even try to tell me they can't. I'll, I'll go. Okay, we're good. Yeah, I agree. Good. Anyway, listen closely to the sound of my voice as I talk about hearing. So, what happens when we hear things, right? 
So you're currently listening to this podcast or, well, podcast, radio show. No one's probably listening. Anyway. <laughs> My mom's listening, I'm pretty sure. Okay, good. Hi, Leslie. You're hearing <laughs> the sound of my voice. I am speaking through a microphone, and it's being put through your speakers, and those speakers are poking out into <laughs> the world. Basically, Dear what's happening God. <laughs> is sound is traveling to your ears Yeah, because of sound. the vibration of things. So, sound wow. is traveling through air. <laughs> my mom says hi, for the record. Good. Sound is traveling through the air. It's vibrating all the little bits of air, and it gets into your ear, or pinny is the scientific term oh, for ears. Yeah. Like P-I-N-N-A-E, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Ears are the ugliest fucking things we have on our bodies. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of this, but ears are fucking stupid looking. <laughs> There's a reason for it. Yeah. Ears are shaped the way they are because they're trying to catch the sound. They're trying to catch all the little vibrations of things that come into our face. And so we can hear things because our ears are shaped in such a way that they capture the sound waves. Okay. And uh, so they're actually supposed to be really ugly looking because they're good at telling where the sound is coming from mm. vertically. Oh. How? So. What? Because of the way okay, our ears are shaped. Okay, I've always had this question. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Answer it. No, go ahead. With, well, no, that was I mean, the yeah, question's so, always been how the hell do we figure out... When it's above or below, okay, go. It's all it is. It's all it is. Is the way our ears are shaped. It he get, catches different parts of it depending on where it is. So you've got, you know, your ear. It's like a little cup-looking thing, and sound that comes above you hits it in a certain way. Sound that comes below you hits it in a certain way, and our brains somehow figure it out and are able to tell like where that change? sound is coming. So from. So like changes the sound a little bit. Probably no. It's it's more. I'm going to think that it's closer to the way we perceive where sound is you know horizontally but isn't that by using both of your ears yes but in a similar way you can use the top and bottom of your ear can you i think that's what i read i could be wrong oh, but i don't think that's how that works okay well we'll have to look that up right. the point is you can tell where things are coming vertically based on the shape of, because of the shape cool. of your ear so horizontally, we can tell where sounds are coming from because say you have a sound that's off to your right. It's just somewhere in the woods, a lion roaring, uh, Zach farting, Shane saying to clean the dishes. I'm not going to do that, Shane, but you can <laughs> yell at me and it's coming from my right. It's going to hit my right ear first and it's going to hit my left ear slightly after that. Yeah. Just because of the way like sound moves. It moves through the air, so it's going to hit my right ear first before it hits my left ear. Right, yeah. My brain recognizes this and says, wow, okay, hit the right ear at this time, hit the left ear at this time, so it must be that direction, to the right. right. That's how our brain figures out where sound is coming from. I once heard that this is also sort of the reason that people like cock their heads when they're trying to figure out where sound is coming from. Because like, if you put one ear higher than the other one, you have a more accurate, like, so, like, you know, what Dave was saying is, like, if the sound comes from the right, it hits my right ear first. But, like, if I also cock my head to the left so my right ear is higher than my left one, then also I can know, like, if it comes from above me, then it'll hit my right ear first as well. So I can also identify, oh, okay, well, it's, like, to the right and also, like, above me a little bit. So it helps you locate the sound better. Yep, exactly. Cool. You're locating sound based on the time it takes for that sound to hit you in certain places. You also, your brain's also like super genius and it can like, 
It can use interference patterns generated by, like, you know, the bits of your yeah. ear that are all goofy. Even, like, your torso and your head being in the way, or if you, like, move your hand up near your ear, right. and it changes the way sound gets to that ear. Like, if you cup your ear, do something like that. All these things help you, like, find the direction of sound better. Oh, wow. So it is sort of what I was saying. Yeah. The interference patterns, are like, related to the shape of your ear helps you figure out if it's above or below you. Mm-hmm. Maybe? Yeah, cool. Kind of, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, awesome. Right. Okay, so now the sound waves have hit your ear, and your ear directs them into your ear canal. That stuff where you find wax. It's really gross, but Yum. it's there. Basically, what happens is you have the sound waves go in, and okay, so I guess sound waves is kind of a vague term, but what I really mean is that sound travels by moving a some sort of fluid, so air or water, and you can hear it because the sound waves physically move the molecules around. Mm. Yeah. So, when I say sound waves travel, I mean that they just propagate through because they're hitting molecules that are in the way. Yeah. And it's causing these vibrational motions that we can pick up. That's what a sound wave is. Okay. So, a sound wave can go into our ear canal where it hits the eardrum, the tympanic membrane, which is exactly like a drum, actually. It's, it's literally a stretch of membrane that is really tight, and when sound hits it, it vibrates back and forth, and it's like, wow, okay. So it's entering your ear. It's going through the ear uh, eardrum mm-hmm. as the waveform of the sound. Okay. So I don't know if anyone's seen like waveform things before, but they're pretty easy to see. And it's like it just shows you the shape of what the sound looks like. Right. You know? So next, where does it go? Goes to the middle ear. It hits the tympanic membrane, and this rattles off. And the inside the eardrum is an air-filled cavity called the middle ear. And inside this air-filled cavity are bones. The smallest bones in the human body. The incus, the malleus, and the stapes. The hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup is probably what you've heard them called. They're because they're shaped like those things. Mm-hmm. They're little tiny things. They're all really complicated shaped and they hit each other. And they're leaning up against the eardrum and things are vibrating back and forth. And it's the sound wave is bouncing through each bone and then yeah. goes into your inner ear there's a really good video of all this by the way that i watched in one of my classes last semester that we should post that like because really hard to visualize without looking at it they did someone did like this really intense 3d model of this and shows sound propagating through so we'll post that as a blog post continue so we're at the inner ear so continuing to the so also in the middle ear are these weird muscles called the tensor tympani muscles okay what they do is they stiffen they can they're little tiny muscles in your ear okay. that can stiffen if a sound is too loud ah. that you can literally stiffen your ears Weird. stiffen ear muscles Weird. to dampen sounds it's for specifically uh chewing sounds because that's gonna you know sound really loud because it's right there it's right next to your it's in your face what so it dampens the sound of chewing but it also works to dampen the sound of other things like the sound of yourself shouting. Okay, so Zach had this thing a while ago where he was convinced that, like, okay, he, he speaks really loudly, right? Sometimes, like, he just walks into a room and says something, like, stupidly loudly. And everyone's like, Zach, how can you not realize that you're shouting at the top of your lungs right now? And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, when I talk really loud, my ears make it sound quieter. And everyone looked at him like, what the hell are you talking? That doesn't make any sense at all. And apparently, though... According to this, his ears are actually making him sound less loud. Yep. All right. I guess I apologize, but not that much because you're still yelling. <laughs> it's true. He's yelling. 
our our your our tensor tympani muscles aren't stiffening and protecting us from your shouts. It's because they're weak. <laughs> Do you even Screw lift? You. Can you lift? Can you exercise? You could probably exercise those muscles somehow. Yeah, by yelling at yourself a lot. Yeah, that's how mine are so strong. <laughs> I've been practicing. That's why I'm less so loud. Oh, okay. Yeah, Another thing in the middle ear is the eustachian tubes. This is okay. You ever been sick, gotten a cold, your nose is stuffed, you know, whatever, but also turns out that your ears, you can't hear very well. Mm. Well, that's because of the eustachian tubes. The eustachian tubes connect from the middle ear to the back of the nose. So what that does is it helps equalize the pressure. So that's why if you want to, you know, uh, uh, pop your ears, you like hold your nose and like breathe really hard. That's what you do. That's just how it works. And so that's what that's for. Okay. Next up, we go to the inner ear, and this is the fluid-filled place. This is the weirdest thing we have in our body. It's super strange. The cochlea. Cochlea, something. It's a spirally, crazy-looking thing that's filled with fluid, and waves go through it. And what it has is these basilar membrane. It has a basilar membrane, which is a membrane, and it has these little hair cells on them, little vibrating hairs. Literally, they look like tiny little hairs. As the sound waves propagate through the fluid, of the cochlea they vibrate these hair cells and that's these make the electric potential that gets sent to your brain that's where it's converted from sound noises to a thing that your brain can understand uh-huh. so the way we tell different sounds apart is that their place the hair cells place on the basilar membrane corresponds to specific frequencies so if it hits this spot it's this sound if it hits this spot it's a different sound also, we use this spot to test for loudness. So, like, the more vibrating your hair cells get, the louder the sound is. And that can be damaged if it's too loud by, like, Zach shouting at you. <laughs> Not that loud. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, a neat thing also is that, um, like, when you get sick and stuff and you yeah. get all congested, uh-huh. uh, the, pass- the passageway from the back of your throat... Yeah up to your nose where your olfactory sensors yeah. are uh-huh. is kind of blocked. Okay. And so all there's normally you, you can like smell real well what you're tasting because it flows up in the back of your throat and up to the uh-huh. back of your nose. Right. It doesn't work anymore. Oh. And so it's hard to taste things. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's that. hearing. Hearing is actually pretty straightforward, yeah. I would say, compared well, to sight. and <laughs> Hearing is really straightforward until you start looking at the inner ear and trying to figure yeah. out that. Hell yeah, the doing. cochlea is really, really it's strange. It's super complicated, but we'll put that video and it'll. So next thing. up, let's move on to our fifth and final. Oh, well, not really, because you know, There's the more. number of senses is stupid. <laughs> so the sense of touch. This is also mechanoreceptive. It's basically when something touches your hand or your leg or your face, you can tell that it's doing that because of the same sort of. Hi, Shane. He's touching my face. <laughs> because of the same thing that hearing works. All that's happening is nerve endings in your skin are activated by motion, vibration, temperature, or even pain. And these different nerve endings can respond to different types of stimuli. So some, so there are different ones that are uh, specifically work better for like crude touch or pain or uh, thermoreception, telling the temperature of you know, whatever something is touching you. Mm-hmm. There's also certain ones that work better for flutter and movement on non-hairy skin. There's some that oh. work flutter and movement on hairy skin. Oh. There's some that specifically do fine tactile receptor. And we can, like, really, we can feel really, really fine things. Like, I think uh, yeah. a number I read today was uh, in the range of 200 uh, micrometers, nanometers. What unit no was that? Micrometers. 
micrometers, 200 micrometers. That's we can measure differences in a, that small of a scale because yeah. of our fine, fine tactile receptors. Yeah. So like there's all sorts of different crazy. receptors that work in different ways, and they test. They can tell what kind of touch is happening. So okay. that's what they do. Cool. So, yeah, the sense of touch is usually reserved for, like, the mechanical, like, oh, there's a piece of wood here. Oh, it's kind of <laughs> frictiony and stuff. Oh, I have a splinter. Um, but it, that, that, He doesn't have a splinter. But the pain part is usually, that's like a set, that's nociception. That's a sort of a separate sense. And then the same thing with thermoception, like the change in temperature on the surface of whatever mm. you're touching. Mm-hmm. These are all, like, not really included within touch. Okay. Like at least not that makes sense. Yeah. So these are your your extra senses, extra your sixth, seventh, eighth, twentieth senses. We have more than five senses. These are these are some of them. Okay, fair enough. Also interesting to note is that yeah. the skin has photoreceptors. Oh, that's weird. Wait, UV. What? Oh. Our eyes can't sense UV light, but our skin can. That seems really unfortunate. And what happens is that UV comes in and it says, "Oh, this could potentially be damaging to me." So your skin cells recognize that it's. High-intensity UV light, and it says, okay, well, now I'm going to release more melanin, and then you get tan. That's weird. So, basically, the whole point of tanning is to protect you from sunburn. So, people are doing it on purpose. It's kind of like ass-backwards. Stupid, yeah. Because you're like, yeah, like I'm going to damage my skin so much that it thinks it has to defend itself. It's like they're just they're just training their skin like I train my ears. <laughs> I don't think it works that way. It's not a muscle. Yeah. It's dumb. Yeah. Okay. Just to clarify. So it could lead to cancer, specifically <laughs> melanoma. Yeah. So sad. let's talk about my, one of the interesting ones, proprioception. This is like the last sense that isn't really anything else. All it is, is that your body can tell where it is in space, where right. different parts of it are in space. It's weird to think about it. that as like a sensation. Think about it. Okay. But it makes sense. Here's the thing. Yeah. Stand up. Put your hands behind your back and touch them together. Without looking at them, without feeling them, you can do it. You can right, yeah. put your two hands together. Doing it right now. And that's what proprioception <laughs> is. For there the record, are these it worked. nerve endings in your joints, in your muscles, in your tendons that can tell how something's twisted, how high it is, where it is relative to other things. And so your brain puts all that together. And knows where different parts of your body are without looking at them. I am struggling a little bit to directly connect my middle fingers on the first try. Oh, I got them. But I just tried like three times. I just did it like immediately. Really? Yeah. Maybe it like, was fine. I had to try a few I, times. Yeah, I miss a little bit. But then, like, middle, but then just a little as bit. soon as you catch anything, you suddenly yeah, are aware of where everything know is. Where it is. Yeah. You just, so you, your sensory feedback is tied together. Woo, fancy. <laughs> cool. Um, just a quick thing about thermoception that's real neat sensing of temperature is yeah. say you have like a 70 degree room, right? Okay. And your skin's like 90 something degrees. It's probably right. not your core temperature, but it's it's up there, yeah. right? And so say in this room you have like something that is made of plastic and something that is made of steel, right? <laughs> and so you touch the plastic thing and it feels yes. cooler than your hand, right. right? You touch the metal thing. And it feels cold. Right. Like These things cold. are both like equilibrated to room. They're at room temperature right, right now. They, they're, they're the, the same, same temperature, temperature, but one feels colder. Now, what the hell is up with that? So it turns out that uh, the metal in this case is better at conducting heat. Uh-huh. And so it pulls heat from your skin faster. Right. And that's what, you're, that's what you sense. Weird. And so it feels colder. So, so you don't sense temperature. Right. You, is, is, you sense a transfer of heat energy. 
Interesting. Which is temperature? No. <laughs> it's not the same things. It's not what temperature is. No. Temperature is the like is the, like the kinetic energy of the molecules in a system. The transfer of heat, like, is, is how quickly yeah. that energy is transferred, is transferred from between one two thing systems. To all right, all right. No, well, they're, they're different. It's important. They're fundamentally different yeah, in thermodynamics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I accept that. Fine, sure, whatever. This is why I'm Dave, a biologist. Dave, you're wrong and you're stupid. This is why I'm a biologist and not a thermodynamicist. Ther- thermodynamic. <laughs> Man, is that a thing? That would be a sad life. Probably. That's got to be shitty. a thing. Um, I think the last thing we should talk about today is uh synesthesia yeah don't have much time left so we're going to talk about the weirdest thing that (laughs) you could possibly experience i think you actually this is the weirdest thing you could possibly experience really synesthesia is defined as when your senses cross over to each other so do you remember how earlier i said that umami to me makes me think of the color brown Mm-hmm. That is a form of synesthesia. Right. I have a taste recepting sense that somehow makes me think of a visual sense. Right. Somehow points me in the direction of a certain wavelength of light, sure. even though those things are entirely unrelated. Yeah. Could also be associative that I don't think of steak, which is brown. Right. But the point is that you can have some sense that makes you think of a different sense, okay. experience it in a different way. So there's some really neat kinds of synesthesia. It's also Jesus really hard Christ. to say. <laughs> um, the classic example is that there are people who see letters and numbers in color. Right. Each letter and each number has a specific color associated with yeah. it. Right. And uh, but that this color isn't the same between people necessarily. Right. So right, one person's right, right. like, oh yeah, red is one, and then the other people are like, oh well, my, my one's green. You're wrong. I remember. I remember reading one thing where like part of the way they test for something like that is like if like say you see one as red right you can like hide a one in a bunch of l's and be- because the one actually appears <laughs> red the people like look at the sheet and immediately identify all of the ones like without having to look through it at all people without synesthesia are like oh isn't that just magical yeah, crazy right? that is incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the free this is why synesthesia is the weirdest goddamn thing <laughs> And that also means your brain is processing all the ones exactly. and L's, but you can't specifically yes, pick them that's out. What's so that's crazy really about strange. It. Exactly. It's like your brain's like, it's not important. You don't need to find the ones. So. Yeah, right. It's super weird. Uh, another example is that uh, sounds can be associated with colors. So oh, that's weird. E- in either direction. Yeah, because it's one thing if it's like vision is associated with something else that's also vision. Well, okay. If numbers are associated with a color, like numbers are primarily i mean they when seen. they think of the numbers yeah too. but i guess feel i mean color. i picture numbers when i think about yeah, them a right, lot me so too. there's that yeah um uh sounds can induce sensations in parts of the body oh odd, oh odd, no right yeah that's super weird asmr is the um some sort of autosomal something or other oh, i forget right. the actual acronym don't worry about it it's like a made-up acronym that doesn't mean anything autosensory meridian response it's don't it's stupid <laughs> basically what it means that. is that there are certain sounds that make people like tingle or whatever and this is what he's talking about when it comes to these sounds that make you feel things but that how how does that how are those the same thing uh additionally there's uh like one where you feel the physical sensations that you see others experience someone gets hit in the face it feels like someone just punched you in the face it's real bad like they watch a kung fu movie and they'll come out of it exhausted (laughs) 
and just broken. It's <laughs> terrible. All right, isn't there like some part of your brain that already does something to that extent? Mirror neurons. Yeah, right? you like to talk about. I love those. mirror neurons. There's like these. There's like this part of your brain called mirror. Like there's are there these neurons in your brain that basically activate when you get touched and then when you see somebody else or yourself get touched, even if you don't feel it. So like. You know, there's like some for every like sensation that you experience, it was something like 30 percent of those neurons additionally fire when somebody else experiences that sensation and you're privy to it. So if you like see somebody get punched in the face, some part of you goes, oh, shit, I got punched in the face. And then the other the rest of the neurons are like, no, 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 you're fine. Like, don't worry. But like, calm down, bro. You're good. There's this issue where like if you have you can you can have something like that happen. But then if something's wrong, like say you have an amputated arm, but you witness someone get touched on the arm, you don't have any neurons directly corresponding to your arm to be like, don't worry, my skin wasn't touched. And so you're like, why is someone touching my ghost arm? Which is really awful. I just sort of made it like a joke, but it's like a really terrible thing to experience. Additionally, there's one that's super weird. Numbers can have distinct locations in space. So like <laughs> one, one can feel further away than two. <laughs> And someone, like, someone on Wikipedia, there's someone literally just drew a map of what they thought num- numbers, positions, and space what? were. The numbers, like, 1 through 12 followed a clock. Oh, God. And then it went almost in kind of a line up to, like, about 100. And then at 110, it just started going into a loop. So it's just, <laughs> like, usually, I think a lot of synesthesia is related to associative things. But right. a lot, some of it's just, that probably is learned, and the other parts are just intertwined from the beginning. Um Real quick, just to mention other senses that are super neat, or rather that are more than the five senses we have. We can sense, uh, you know, you don't talk about this one, Dave. Uh, You can sense a buildup of like carbon dioxide in your blood. So basically when you hold your breath for a real long time and your body says, shit, breathe, you idiot. That is your CO2 alert going off. That is your internal sense of too much CO2 saying, get that shit out of me. Weird. So people who hyperventilate before holding their breath, get rid of the CO2. And so they can hold their breaths for breath for longer oh. because their CO2 alert isn't going off. Oh, weird! That's cool. But they may run out of oxygen and not even be aware right, of it because you your body doesn't you care, doesn't like tell you. It does care because you die without it. But my grandpa shoots things a lot. Um, oh. By which I mean, my grandpa does a lot of like rifle competitions, rifle competitions. And I remember one time he was telling me the story where he was like, he intentionally hyperventilates before starting a round because then he can hold his breath and keep his aim. When you have to take a breath, you have to, you would like always screw up your aim. And so he was saying he like actually ended up messing with some other guy who was like he was with because he started hyperventilating. The guy was like, oh, psh, that old man over there hyperventilating like didn't take him seriously at all. But he was doing it on purpose to like get the car- carbon dioxide out of his system so he could hold his breath for longer to like, you know, shoot the targets accurately. Neato. Um, we can also sense when we're thirsty and since we need salt. Oh, the cool. salt thing is. Tr- yeah. Colleen the other night was like, do you need anything? And I was like, you know what? I need a Coke. I really just like very much want a Coke right now. I think I need salt. Like I just like some part of me was like, you want a Coke. Yeah. We're, we're completely out of time. Um, we're going to, if you want to keep listening, there's going to be some coverage, uh, live coverage of the hockey show. Um, so, Oh, apparently we just stopped. So I'm going to, okay. Well. <laughs> Lol.